I uh, wanted to kind of run a few things by you. You know, I had mentioned uh, in one Sunday school class about the idea that if you could find where a key verse was, then you know what goes before and you know what goes afterwards. So, of course, that happens in the book of Matthew in chapter 24 when it says in verse 15, ye shall see these things come to pass. He says, when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Well, we know that that's a reference from the book of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And this is when the prince of the power of the air will have his man sit in the temple in Jerusalem. And there he claims that he is God. So this is going to happen in the middle of this seven-year tribulation period. Now, where are we on this scheme of things? And we often sometimes refer to a, you know, uh, prophetic survey. You don't cover all the little details. You have to just hit the high points. And then later on when you read it, you can say, okay, I know where this goes and this goes, so I know this has to go in here, something like that. And it helps you to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. So here is where we are right now. We are in this period of time called the church age. And the next thing to happen is for the rapture. God's going to take all of those who have trusted Christ as Savior and transport them out of this world. There will be a generation of people living that will not physically die. I would love for that to be my generation. It's only going to happen one time. It's not going to happen twice, only once. And I want to be part of it. But I told the Lord the other day, I said, Lord, you're going to have to hurry up if you want me to be part of it. Because, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. But anyway, when you turn in the book of Luke in chapter 21, you can find that key verse that refers to when the, you see, shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies and know that the desolation thereof is nigh and for you which be in Judea flee into the mountains and so forth and don't look back, don't come back, get out of there. Well, when you go to the book of Revelation, you'll also find that there's a, a key verse that will kind of split the whole book and you'll know where that center verse is and then you have an idea of what goes before and what goes after. And it kind of gives you an idea, because there's a lot of things in the book of Revelation. You say, well, when does this happen? When does this take place? Well, I, I got a few ideas, but I'm not saying it's in concrete. Uh, but it kind of lets you know that you've got to use Scripture that you do understand that helps you to understand the Scriptures that you don't understand. So what it means is you come to a gristle, you go to get a knife, and you go get a fork, and you come back, and you, you know, cut that little thing down into little smaller pieces, and you can chew it. Well, that's the way it is with the Word of God. The Word of God is like a big old banquet table, and you can't eat all of it at one time. Here in the book of Revelation, so I want you to turn there with me to the book of Revelation in chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, you will notice that in verse 19. Verse 19 is the kind of the outline of the book of Revelation, and it says there in verse 19, Write the things of which thou hast seen, which is chapter 1. He just caught a glimpse of the Lord. He just saw Christ as He is revealed. Now this is when he, not when He comes back in power and great glory. This is how He saw Him as the head of the church. He has these seven candlesticks and they are the churches, and he has the seven stars, which are the messengers or the pastors of the seven churches that existed at that time. So he says, write the things that are. So that's chapter 1. 
And then he says, and then he makes a statement, the things which are. That's chapter 2 and chapter 3, the church age, all the churches. That's what we have right here. Then it says, and the things which shall be hereafter, or after the church age. So then when we start in chapter 4, if you'll look there very quickly. So you see chapter 2, chapter 3, talking about the church. Well, that's the period of time in which we live. So in chapter 4, you'll look there in verse 1, after this. I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So we know that that breakdown in chapter 1 and verse 19 is the breakdown, because now he's talking about the things which are going to be in the future after this period of time in which we live. So God breaks it down, and then you get into the book that uh, nobody could open. Because no man had earned the right to be a kinsman redeemer that could redeem the claims of the earth. Because see, by Adam it was committed to him, but he kind of like sold it to the devil. By his disobedience he rebelled against God, he sinned against God. And so this is like a title deed also to the earth. And so whenever he opens up the book, he begins to pour out his judgment upon the earth. He pours out his judgment upon the sun, upon the moon. And he says, stars fall, the mountains shake, the earth will shake upon its axis, and the water turns into blood, and the grass is burnt, and men's bodies will have big sores all over their bodies. They'll be scorched and so many things that it describes. It's God pouring out His judgment upon the earth. But at the same time He's doing it, the devil is here and he is after the believers and God is pouring out His judgment upon the unbelievers. So who wins? Well, I've already checked last book, the last verse. We win. But it's the devil is pouring out his wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And this is in Revelation chapter 12. So the Bible tells us in chapter 6 of Revelation that the wrath of the Lamb has come. And then in chapter 5 talks about the Lamb as it had been slain, and then talks about the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So the kinsman is the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you look there in chapter 5, where it makes a statement in verse 8, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, every one of them having golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, that thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hath redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So this is the kinsman redeemer. Somebody who had the ability to pay the price for mankind, but also he was willing to do so. Because see, they could have gone into debt and sold themselves into slavery, but only a near kinsman could redeem them if they didn't have the money to do so. So therefore, you were always hoping that there's somebody who cared enough about you that would pay your sin debt. Or if you loaned yourself out and you became somebody's slave. Well, that's a principle in the Old Testament. But it was on the time limit. And if it goes past a certain year, then they were all set free anyway because of the year of Jubilee that they had, which was every 50 years. Now, here you have in Revelation the opening of 
seven seals, which is the seals of this book that he had the right to open because he is the one who paid the price and he is the only one. When John first saw the book and no man was worthy to open it, if you'll see that in verse 2, where he says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book. And he began to weep, and then the Lord says, We got somebody here. Because he was the kinsman redeemer. So that's why Christ had to come and be related as a son of man. And you'll find those phrases mentioned over and over again. The son of man, the son of man, the son of man. Because he had to be the son of man. Man, in order to be a kinsman redeemer. So he could redeem not only the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. So this is what he did. And then he opens up those seven seals and goes uh, into uh, some other things. But what I want you to do is turn in your Bible all the way over there to chapter 11. Look in chapter 11. And sometimes if you can find uh, a, a key verse that will give you a clue. How long is the tribulation? Seven years. Seven years. All right. If you know it's seven years and you know something happens and it says for 42 months. 42 months is about how long? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. So if it's three and a half years and then Katie bar the door, the Lord's coming back. Then you know if you go back three and a half years, well, that has to be the middle. So you know where that is. So you look there in verse 1 of chapter 11. And there was given to me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot. For how long? So that means that this verse is probably referring to the middle of the tribulation period. Because how many times have you heard us say that there's got to be a peace treaty made, and it's going to be for maybe seven years, and in the midst of the week, in the midst of the seven years, the treaty will be broken, and the man of sin will be revealed. I believe this is the definite point when he's revealed. Now, probably we could have some clue in advance, but I don't want to go there because I can't definitely prove it. So we know that the Antichrist is going to be set up on his throne, and he's going to claim that he is God. And so therefore we know the temple has to be built. Because he cannot stop the sacrifices unless they've already started the sacrifices. How much they're going to get into that, I don't know. How long is it going to take them to build the temple? I don't know. I just know that in the middle something happens. And they were told that when you see this happen, this is when Israel is to get out of the land. The Jews get out of the land. Because this is what he's going to do. He's going to try to annihilate the Jew. So, as you go down through here, and you notice there in the last part of verse 2, where he says, 42 months, three and a half years, that's on the basis of 30 days to the month, and for the 12 months to a year, and you'll come out to that, because it's still using Jewish time on their calendar. Now, in verse 3, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy 8,203 score days. That's exactly 42 months, or three and a half years. But we believe that these two witnesses are going to be witnessing in the first part. So when the Antichrist takes over, now the Antichrist is going to kill these two witnesses. This is when the world rejoices. So I believe there's a good possibility that through these two individuals, 
they will win the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that will go all over the world and preach that in the days of their prophecy, there will not be any rain. So you know you're going to have the famine, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So when they open up the four seals, then you got the white horse, and you got the red horse, you got the uh, black horse, and then the uh, pale horse. So the famine is later on in the opening of the seals. So that is God pouring out His judgment, and by the time they open up the third seal, you're talking about there's mass famine all over the earth. And because of famine, then the fourth one is the pale horse, which is death. So there's going to be a lot of people that are going to die during this period of time. So if you'll notice, as it goes down through here, in verse 6, These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over water to turn them to blood, to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. And when they have finished their testimony, finished, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overthrow them and kill them. And so their bodies are going to be laying in the street for three and a half days. Look at it down there in verse 11. And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet. Now it's going to talk about all the things that are going to take place, because now the Antichrist is in power. Now, this all happened. So chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13 is kind of giving us a picture of the middle of the tribulation period. Because these are three things that are happening, but it tells you a little bit about what they do and how far it goes and so forth. But the bulk of it is during this middle part of the tribulation period. So the Antichrist is going to come. He's going to set up his throne, and he's going to rule in Jerusalem. And he's going to try to do his dead level best to destroy the nation of Israel. Remember, when you read chapter 13, and it talks about the two beasts, we're going to go ahead and look at that first so that when we come back to chapter 12, you'll have a little bit better idea what's going on. So let's just jump over there now to chapter 13. Chapter 13, there's mainly these two beasts. One comes out of the sea, one comes out of the land. The one that comes out of the sea is what we call the head of the political world system. This is the one where the nations of the world, especially those ten nations, whoever they may be, are going to come together and give their power to one man. Now, remember this. This man is not the devil himself, because the devil is cast into the bottomless pit in chapter 19. But the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. At the end of the thousand years, the beast and the false prophet they're in the lake of fire. And the devil is cast where the beast and the false prophet are, and they've already been there for over a thousand years. So the beast and the false prophet is not the devil. They're influenced by the devil. And how far that goes, I don't know. We can speculate, but it's best to always shed light when there is light. But when you're not sure, it's better to say, hey, I'm not sure on that. So anyway... Here in Revelation in chapter 13, the beast that comes up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. All right, look up here just for a second. Usually we talk about these heads or these world kingdoms that came on the scene because of what we call the times of the Gentiles. There was a time, see, when Israel was under the Gentile ruling power of Egypt. 
And then later on, when the kingdom was divided after Solomon had passed away, then they developed the northern kingdom, which was made up of the northern ten tribes. And their capital was in Samaria. And they were taken into captivity by Assyria. And then later on, you have Judah, which is made up of Judah and Benjamin, the southern two kingdoms. And their capital was in Jerusalem. So the kingdom was divided. So you had Israel, Israelites, Judah, Jews. So that's why you'll find there's certain parts of the king of Judah. And then it's talking about the king of Israel. Because Israel was divided into two, two kingdoms. It was done because of Solomon's messing around with all those thousand women. That you didn't think it mattered. Oh, everything matters. And God was a little upset about all of this. So you have the... Egyptian power that ruled over Israel. Then you had the Assyrian, and you had uh, later on come in Babylon. And Babylon, he, he had to uh, whoop them up about two or three times and took parts of them into captivity. But that was Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. Then later on you had the Medes and the Persians. And this is when Belshazzar in chapter 5 of Daniel, uh, when he was like the, his grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. So then you have... Uh, the Medes and the Persians. Then after the Medes and the Persians, you had the Alexandrian Empire. And then you had the Roman Empire. So the Bible talks about there were seven, and the last one is the one that's yet to come. So there were five, which would have been Egypt and Assyria, and then Babylon, and Medes and the Persians, the Alexandrian Empire. So that's five. So when John wrote, he wrote during the time of the Roman Empire. One is five fallen, one is yet to come, and the one that's yet to come is this last one that's made up of these ten nations, so they're the seventh one, but they will give their power to one individual, so he's the eighth, but he's of the seventh. You see that? You follow all that, right? Clears a bell, right? Just nod your head like this so I know you're awake. All right. That's found in chapter 17. So hold your place right here in chapter 13. But look, look there in chapter 17, because I want you to see that. And you'll notice there in verse 9, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. There are seven kings, five fallen. One is, the other is not yet come. Then he says in verse 11, And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seventh, and goeth into perdition. He is the eighth, but he's of the seventh. And then verse 12, The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet. In verse 13, they have one mind and give their power and strength unto the beast. So these nations are going to give their power because he will lie to them, he'll deceive them, he uses flattery, he conquers a few countries and he divides the spoil among them, he wins them over to him. And hey, always beware of the person bringing gifts. Always. But anyway, look at this. Then he makes a statement in verse 14, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. So these are the ones that are going to be ruling when Christ returns. They call them make war with the Lamb. See, now that's not happened yet. That's going to happen when He comes back in power and great glory. And this is at the end of the tribulation period, and there's going to be the battle of Armageddon. So that's when that takes place. Now, while you're right there, you might as well look at chapter 16 and look there in verse 12. Verse 12. 
Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. And it says, And the sixth angel poured out his vow upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So we know that there's kings coming from the east. Chapter 9 gives us an idea that it could be the 200 million soldiers, but I can't guarantee that. But it, the Bible does say that they will come from the east, and they are coming from uh, across the Euphrates River, and that it will be dried up. And it also kind of correlates with all this other. But you'll notice now in verse 13. Verse 13 is where we have the unholy trinity. You know, we have the holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, you have Satan who copies, imitates the truth. He is a liar and a deceiver, but he can't deceive unless he comes so close to the truth. It's just not the truth. That's how he deceives. And that's why he, when he uses counterfeit, you can't hardly tell the difference. And this is why also Christ says he will come in his own name. And if it were possible, he could deceive his own elect, his people. But now notice, verse 13, And he saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. There's the devil. Out of the mouth of the beast. There's your antichrist, your political. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. That's the religious. So in the end time, we know there's going to be a one world religion, one world government. But the government is going to be ridden under the controls of the religion. And later on, the beast will throw the woman and devour the woman. But it's because, you see, they can get more done if they use religion. Religion. This is why if you've ever heard people say, you know, uh, it's religion that starts all the wars in the world. You take out religion and there probably wouldn't be no word. But religion is talking about how you think. So that's why you say there's two things you never argue about, religion and politics. But that's all there is. Religion is what you think. And politics is how you live. Every individual has to have a governmental philosophy. How do you govern yourself? Well, I'm self-governed. Okay, what do you mean by that? It means I tell myself what to do and that's what I do. So everybody has to have a form of government. Even when you have children, you teach them what's right and what's wrong. You're teaching them a form of government. You may not tell them why yet. <laughs> they get a little bit older. Why, 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 why? And then they may want to develop their own way of living their lives. And often do. So in chapter 16, when he talks about this, and notice what they're doing in verse 14. They are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth into the kings of the earth and shall in the whole world to gather them to the battle that great day of God Almighty. And behold, I come as a thief. So in the verse 16, it says, And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So you have an idea what the goal is of the beast and the false prophet. Now go back to chapter 13. Chapter 13. And you'll notice that when the Antichrist, the false prophet, begin their rule, it's in the middle of the tribulation period. So how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look there in verse 4. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? This last head of this last world government is going to be so strong, so powerful, he's going to be like the Superman that everybody's been waiting for. He's going to be able to deceive the world. Everybody's going to be so excited. Finally, somebody to set the world straight. Aren't we tired of all the mess that we're in? Somebody's going to come on the scene and have all the answers. Except he's the Antichrist. Against God. Anti means against. 
And so he says here in verse 5, And there were given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue for how long? Well, you know, we can't go past the tribulation period when it's over here. So you've got a 42 month back and you wind up in the same spot. So this is when the Antichrist comes on the scene. This is when the devil realizes that he doesn't have a lot of time left. And this is when the beast is going to take and come to a head. And the people are going to be convinced in the first three and a half years to listen to him. Peace and safety. This is what he promises. And is that what everybody wants? Peace and security. You know, if we only had a one world government, who would we fight? Doesn't that make sense? It's so logical. And the money fluctuating and the markets and all of that. Why don't we just have a one world bank and just one world currency? And what would solve the problem if everybody just had a national mark so that they would be able to buy and sell and so forth. We'd know who everybody is. We wouldn't have to worry about the immigrants coming across the borders. We wouldn't have to worry about that. Don't have any borders. Let everybody live and do whatever they want to do. Free health care for everybody. I mean, everybody's going to be in hog heaven. So therefore, he will deceive the world. And he gradually gains confidence, and nations get behind him. Next thing you know, he's the savior of the world. And um, that's when it all goes bad. But now notice, that will continue for 42 months. Now look down in verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. In other words, the devil is behind all of this. Now you'll hear a lot of conspiracy theories. Now this is a real conspiracy. <laughs> this is when the devil has really got a... A theory going here. He's got an idea on how to conquer the world. And so he's going to have his own religious man come on the scene. And he's the one that causes everybody to get everybody to worship the beast. See, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, you've got the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Here you've got the dragon, the devil. You've got the beast, which is a type of Christ, the Antichrist. And you've got the false prophet, which is a type of the Holy Spirit. And so he's, the Holy Spirit is to teach us what to do, how to live. So you look up there in verse 12, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, which is exactly what the Holy Spirit does, and causes the earth and them which worship there to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So he has a deadly wound. Christ had a deadly wound. How long was Christ's ministry? Three and a half years. How long is the Antichrist ministry? Three and a half years. Well, slap my mouth. And where did he rule from and claim to, you know, be God. Jesus did it in Jerusalem. Well, that's what he does too. He's a copycat. And he is going to do all these things. And so by the time you get down through chapter 13, you find out that they're going to impose upon everyone a mark of this beast. 